sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. As we turn our attention now uh, to the Word of God, I hope that all of you are at least uh, benefiting in some way from our uh, weekly worship hours. It's not ideal. It's not what we had, uh, prefer. Uh, but we know that the Lord is using this uh, time in a special way as well. So um, as we look at God's word today, I want to start with a song that has inspired me uh, many, many years ago. It was a song that uh, was sung by a group called For Him, a group of guys. Uh, some years ago, I know I'm perhaps dating myself at this time by mentioning their name. But it was a song called A Man You Would Write About that I found so inspiring. The words to that song are like this. Just a few moments, you'll see the words uh, on the screen. From the time that time began, you always chose a man to lead the people safely by your way, to be a voice and echo what you say. Like David or Abraham, your word is full of such men. And if the Bible had no closing page and still was being written to this day, then comes the chorus. I want to be a man that you would write about. Oh, a thousand years from now that they could read about your servant of choice in whom you found favor, a man who heard your voice. And verse two is shorter. It says, generations away, it is my prayer that they will look back and say, oh, to have that kind of faith and love. What a solid man of God he was. I found that song uh, inspirational many years ago, and, and it made me also want to be that kind of a man to be known as a man uh, who walked with God, who heard his voice, who had great faith. And I ask you today, would you like to be known as that kind of a man or woman? That if God were still writing his word, what would he write about you? The song mentions David and Abraham. Uh, they had a lot written about them in God's word. But then again, there's also people in God's word that don't have very much admirable written about them. And then there's those who have only very little written about them. Enoch, for example, is mentioned only in the genealogies, but it says at least about him that he walked with God. Jabez is mentioned only once in scripture, but he had one prayer that's still quoted and repeated today, thousands of years later. And I also really appreciate the disciple Andrew. Andrew's mentioned only in the lists of disciples and, and at least two other occasions. But on both of those occasions that Andrew's mentioned, there's something special about him. He was bringing someone to Jesus. In one case, it was Simon, his brother. In another case, the boy with the five loaves and two fish. He's remembered as someone who brought people to Jesus. You know, today, um, many of us are influenced by social media. People today have a lot of influence through social media, like Instagram. And people get paid big money by companies to tout their brands. But I read an interesting article in Wired magazine that asks this in the title, could the coronavirus kill influencers culture? In the middle of a pandemic, how influential can Instagram stars really be? See, with lives being claimed by a killer virus and the economy tanking, Influencers find themselves, quote, running out of valuable advice to share. Their beautiful and carefully curated lives, they're built on pictures of travel and of 
what people consider the good life. But these times of uncertainty, disease and death seem rather irrelevant and irreverent when they have their parties and their fancy dining experiences and their exotic travel destinations. Because for some, their lavish lifestyles enable them to avoid many of the consequences of this virus and the shutdown. And so when they say, we're all in this together, it sounds hollow and inauthentic. So in the middle of this crisis, when all the superficiality is stripped away, when uncertainty is the daily mood, when people need to cling to that which is real and meaningful and lasting, many of these social media influencers have, have lost their message, their voice, or both. And so now is a good time for us to consider what kind of difference do we want to make? If God were still writing his words, his word, what would he write about us and our influence? Would we make a difference with our message of hope, with our word of comfort, with our sober voice of truth and reality, our call to receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life? Well, we're going to look at someone who was also not a well-known person in the Bible. We're going to look at Philip today, not Philip of Bethsaida. He was one of the 12 disciples but the Philip who was not as well known. Because we're going to look at his call in a critical moment of history as God's plan for the gospel of Jesus Christ was unfolding. Uh, we're going back to the book of Acts uh, in our series. Um, even though we'd wanted to be in church and have our regular time together, we figured it would probably be good to just get back to our, our regularly uh, scheduled or our planned um, sermon series of the book of Acts. And, Philip is mentioned only in Acts chapter 6 as one of the seven who was chosen to serve tables and of his ministry as a witness in Samaria and Judea in Acts chapter 8. We know about him that he had a good reputation among disciples or else he wouldn't have been chosen among the seven. So he was considered, quote, full of the spirit and of wisdom. But what he did leave was a legacy of proclaiming Christ wherever he went. Because in Acts chapter 21, where he's also mentioned, He's given the name Philip the Evangelist. So friends, this is the spread of the gospel, part two. Let me quickly review because some of you weeks ago uh, remember from March 8th in part one when Carrie was leading us through the first half of chapter eight. Philip, we remember, went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And if you remember, the martyrdom of Stephen had caused the disciples of Christ to scatter, but they didn't just avoid the persecution of Saul. They, as it says in verse 4 of Acts chapter 8, they went about preaching the word. And so Philip went north to Samaria and his proclamation of Christ and the signs that he performed drew some crowds. People were being freed of unclean spirits. The paralyzed and the lame were being healed. And it says in Acts chapter 8 that there was much joy in that city, that city of Samaria. And it was significant, as Carrie told us, because those whom the Jews had considered half-breeds, the Samaritans, the ones that were shunned, they too now believed the good news about Christ being preached. And they too now were being baptized. And if you remember, Peter and John, the apostles, came down from Jerusalem and prayed over those converts so that, quote, they might receive the Holy Spirit as well. In an event that was unique to this particular time in the history of the church, when God was affirming that the gospel, the presence of the Holy Spirit was available to the Jews, but also more than just the Jews. And so 
now that there was apostolic confirmation that the gospel was also for the Samaritans, then as we'll read today, God sent Philip also south to the region of Judea to meet someone who was neither Jewish nor half Jewish by birth to an Ethiopian, one who worshiped Yahweh, the God of Israel. So today we're going to look at how Philip served as a witness of God in Judea, and we'll use the account to apply four truths about how God uses ordinary men and women. Four details that I hope you won't miss today about what went on in Philip's life, because there's no accident of what Luke mentions in the book of Acts. So I hope that you'll pick up on these four truths as well today. Um, we have four today. Normally, I know there should be three points, but you get four today for the price of three. So uh, be glad that you tuned in today. So read along with me as we read from um, the book of Acts, chapter 8, beginning in verse 26 um, in the English Standard Version. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And, the, and then he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way, rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So what are the four details that I want you to notice in this passage? Four truths about how God uses ordinary men and women in the life of his church. Well, first of all, God set up the appointment for Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The Lord told Philip, literally to arise and go toward the south along the desert road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This was a road that wound through the Judean wilderness. The wilderness is a desert area. And as you can imagine of a desert area, it's going to be hot and dry. It's going to be stony and barren. And what did Philip do? He simply arose and went. He didn't ask, why the wilderness? He didn't complain, it's too hot there. He didn't negotiate with God, but aren't there more people in Jerusalem to reach? What does it say that he did? He arose and went. And along that road was the Ethiopian eunuch who was returning home from worshiping in Jerusalem. And what do we know about the eunuch? 
Well, he was most likely from this kingdom of Nubia, because Greco-Roman Ethiopia was the land just south of Egypt in what today is called Sudan and partly also modern Ethiopia. And in the Old Testament, this land was called Cush. The eunuch was a man of great authority in the queen's court. Now, Candace, we think sometimes as a name today, but Candace was really a title in those days, much like Pharaoh was a title in Egypt. Hence the chariot that this eunuch was riding in. And he was in charge of the treasury. He was a worshiper of Jehovah, the God of Israel. And we know that he had traveled far and long to worship Jehovah at the temple. Do you realize that at an average of 20 miles per day, it would have taken the Ethiopian eunuch about 48 to 60 days to travel to Jerusalem. That's a long trip to take, 120 days round trip. Now, he may or may not have been emasculated. That is, eunuchs traditionally were castrated and or dismembered so that they could serve in the queen's court. But then eunuch was also a word oftentimes used as a title of position. An emasculated man was barred from worship in the assembly, so he couldn't be a full proselyte. But then again, Isaiah's prophecy, the one that the eunuch was reading, Isaiah's prophecy held out hope for eunuchs because the Lord had declared that a time would come when eunuchs, and in fact all Gentiles, could, quote, bind themselves to the Lord and serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him. And perhaps, just perhaps, this eunuch was reading that scroll of Isaiah precisely because he found hope in it. And now in his question, Philip would proclaim its fulfillment. But most importantly, we know that God knew that the eunuch, God knew the eunuch, and God wanted Philip to share the gospel of Jesus with him. Which brings me to my first truth that I want us to observe about how God uses ordinary people like you and like me. That God brings people into our lives to whom he wants us to be a witness. God desires you and me to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Remember what he said to the 11, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And as the book of Acts has progressed, we have seen then the church exploding with new disciples in Jerusalem, over 5,000 of them, and now also in Samaria with Philip's preaching and now in Judea, the southern part, before they would then be taken to the ends of the world. And you and me today here in Denmark, some of us at least are in Denmark, others are tuning in perhaps from elsewhere, but we are the evidence of people having been faithful witnesses to the ends of the earth. And God brings ordinary men and women into direct contact with those whom he desires to reveal himself to. And so when he directs us into a divine appointment, question we have to ask is, will we be able to hear him and will we do as he asks? See, our spiritual ears really need to be tuned in to God's voice. Oftentimes our hearing, our spiritual healing is hindered by our disobedience because an unwillingness to obey God is an unwillingness to heed the last thing that he's asked us to do. So how can we expect God to speak to us if our heart is already inclined to disobey him? Are we already inclined to protest or to, or to complain or negotiate with God's commandments? Philip didn't. And just like a radio needs to be tuned to the right frequency, we have to want to hear his voice. And disobedience is a clear indication that we're trying to avoid his voice. 
So not only do our spiritual ears need to be tuned into his voice, our spiritual hearts, our hearts have to be tuned into God's heart. Because if we want to be used by God, then the desires of our heart need to be transformed by him so that they become like his. What is God's heart like? Well, he has compassion for the lost, those who are sick, the needy. There are many such today. God is zealous for righteousness and purity and truth. And that's the same today as well. God loves human beings, even those who are hard to love. Are we allowing God then to mold our hearts and to conform our desires to his through the word? Because our sensitivity to hear God's voice and to feel what his heart feels depends on our intimacy with God. Our sins will not forfeit our salvation because we cannot lose that. But our sins do jeopardize our intimacy with God as we walk with him. And so daily, I believe, we should confess our sins, turn away from them, make every effort to pursue righteousness, and then abide in Christ to ensure the deepest intimacy possible with God. Are, you are we persisting in, our, in grieving the Holy Spirit, living by our own strength instead of turning from our sin, being filled with the Spirit? Because when God decides that it's time to reveal himself to someone, will he call on you? Will he call on me? And will we be ready for our divine appointment? Ask yourself, who among your group of friends or family members might God choose to reveal himself to? Think about that for a moment. Who among your colleagues or acquaintances might he already be drawing himself to? Because God wants to use ordinary men and women who will obey his call. And that's the first truth that I wanted us to observe today in Philip's life that God wants to use ordinary men and women who will obey his call. But not only that, let's look further about what happened next to find out what God desires to use ordinary men and women for. So remember the eunuch desired an explanation of Isaiah. So Philip preached Jesus to him. The Lord had told Philip to go and approach the chariot. Philip ran and heard the eunuch reading from Isaiah and asked him if he understood what he was reading. And the eunuch did not understand what he was reading, so he asked Philip to sit with him as he read from Isaiah. And the eunuch asked Philip to explain who was meant by the one who suffered injustice and death. And Philip began with that passage. And literally it says he opened his mouth and preached Jesus to him. People we, we meet and get to know are people who also need to meet and get to know Jesus. Being a witness of Jesus Christ means sharing your testimony of him. Now, our behavior will certainly be that which speaks the loudest regarding what Jesus means to us. I'm sure you have heard the quote, share the gospel always, use words when necessary. And even though it may not fully tell the whole story, I, I, I agree with the intention behind it, that there's a time that we might be able to use words. Hopefully, that's what we're praying for. But in the meantime, our life should demonstrate that we live the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's not enough that we just live the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will hopefully come a time where we have to share with words. And when we have that opportunity, hopefully we'll be ready to proclaim Jesus, just as Philip did. Because when the time comes for me to open my mouth about Jesus, hopefully my verbal testimony will simply confirm suspicions they've already held that I'm a Christian. 
So people will, we will meet oftentimes voice their desire to know Jesus. What they don't realize though, is that they're asking for, they're saying, I need Jesus. They're crying out for him, but they say something like, well, I've made a terrible mess of my life and I wish I could start over. They say things like, I've sought after happiness all my life, but I've still not found it. Or my marriage is one big disappointment, but I guess I just set my hopes too high. What they're saying is, I need Jesus. And we can proclaim Jesus to them. When they say, I'm worried about my future, who will I be able to turn to? When they say the doctors have given me eight months to live and I'm scared. Or if God is really out there, why does he let so many people suffer? Will we be ready to proclaim Jesus to them in those moments? See, the eunuch desired to know what the prophet meant regarding the suffering of God's anointed. And that provided the perfect opportunity for Philip to talk about Jesus. And so if you and I are willing and obedient, then God will give us that opportunity to preach Jesus to those who need him. And here's some, some helpful guidelines from a, um, a commentary uh, on Acts by Clinton Arnold. He mentioned several things, so maybe note these down, but be sensitive to the prompting of the Spirit, and that's what we've already been talking about so far. Be prepared to share your faith across cultures. That's something specific also in our case. Witnessing is most effective to people whose hearts have already been prepared by God. Start with their questions, he says in his commentary, and the basis of witnessing should be the words of Scripture. The focus of witnessing needs to be the person of Christ. And then one other thing that we can't forget is to invite a response. So we ask you today, do you want to be used by God? What would God write about you if he were still writing his word today? Because God wants to use ordinary men and women to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Not only does he want to use us so that we obey his call, but also to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Well, what happened next then in the story of Philip and the eunuch? Well, as they approached some water, the eunuch asked if there was anything that was hindering him from being baptized. And that question is evidence that Philip taught the eunuch regarding both repentance and baptism, much like Peter had done. We saw in Acts chapter 2. And the fact that he asked, what hinders me, could be a clue that he had been hindered from becoming a full proselyte to Judaism because of his being a eunuch. Now, don't know if you noticed this, but in the scripture we read, there was no verse 37. In some later manuscripts, verse 37 says, Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, whether or not the verse is in the original manuscript written by Luke or added later by a scribe, it simply makes explicit that which is already implicit in the text, that the eunuch came to believe in Jesus Christ and then wanted to be baptized. So he commanded the, the chariot to stop and both he and Philip descended into the water and Philip baptized him. And the fact that they went down into the water and later came up out of the water bears testimony of the practice of New Testament believers. Baptist churches typically follow that example, their practice of baptism. We immerse, the word baptizo originally means to immerse. And it also provides a picture not only of a repentant heart one that is cleansed, but also that a former life is buried with Christ and that a new life is raised together with Christ. And so I believe also the truth that we should gain from this is that men and women 
are called by God to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And believers ought to be baptized in obedience to Jesus because that's what discipleship is about. Baptism is performed on those who, are, who have already believed in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Baptism doesn't require full maturity in Christ. On the contrary, it really ought to be one's first step as a believer in Jesus Christ and is practiced by immersion as a testimony of one's faith in Christ, that salvation and a transformation of heart has already happened. And it's about the, the disciple making, because when Jesus commissioned his disciples to go about his doing in his absence, he said, as you go, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. So the question I ask is, have you been baptized biblically? Have you believed in Jesus Christ as yourself, for your salvation, first of all, and have you subsequent to such faith taken the opportunity to express that faith in Christ through baptism? And if you haven't, I do hope that we'll soon meet again in church so that we can also have a baptism for those who desire to follow Christ and his example and being obedient to his commands because God wants to use ordinary men and women to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to obey his call, to proclaim him, to proclaim Jesus and then make disciples of Jesus as well. Well, we've also received, we've also reached our last point here about how God wants to use ordinary men and women. And I hope that you notice the detail that when the eunuch ascended from the water, first of all, the Lord took Philip and the eunuch never saw him again. Now the text doesn't explain how Philip was carried away by the spirit. The verb connotates both a forceful and sudden action, a lack of resistance from Philip I quote from one of the commentaries as well. It seems to indicate then that the transportation was supernatural. And the fact that there is no explanation or defense would lend credibility to the fact that this was an actual event that simply happened by the power of the spirit. And the eunuch, he went on his way, notice, rejoicing. Rejoicing while Philip then was found preaching the gospel in many other cities in the area until he reached Caesarea. Now, one of the early church fathers, Irenaeus, says that the man, the eunuch, was also sent into the regions of Ethiopia to preach what he had himself believed. And thus, this testimony of this joyous Christian could be the source of the Christian influence in all of that region, an influence that's even noticed today. And so I believe that we, too, need to continue to bring the gospel wherever we go so that we can share the joy of our salvation. Because we need to remember that the gospel means good news. Good news that brings great joy, as Jesus was announced. Because you and I, we tend to hesitate when it comes to talking to people about our faith in Jesus Christ, don't we? Now, maybe it's because we are afraid of people, that they might think less of us. Maybe because we don't want them to re reject us. Maybe it's because we'll get lumped in with all the other religious people and other cult followers and wackos that our friends have met before. But let's remember that the good news about Jesus that Philip told the eunuch about, that good news that we who've received it should tell others about, is something that brings rejoicing. Yes, it brings great joy that compels us to naturally share it. And don't we naturally share the things that bring us joy? A great restaurant that serves delicious food at reasonable prices? We'll want to share that with others. A good wine that tastes far more expensive than it actually costs, or a vacation spot that offers all the amenities and a stunning view. Isn't that the kind of thing you would share? 
And when people place their faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who showed us the Father, who died on the cross as an offering for sin, and who rose again from the dead to prove that he is the resurrection and life, let's remember that their burden of sin is lifted and cast as far as the east is from the west. Their hunger for a meaningful and significant life is replaced with the abundant life that Jesus offers. Their thirst for God that they were trying to fill with all kinds of other gods, like pleasure or power or money, it's quenched by the living water that Jesus offers. Their doubts about whether or not deeds are good enough to enter heaven's gates are replaced with a confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Any uncertainties they had and any fears about the future they had are overcome by the promise that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life and they cannot be erased. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. I can imagine that was the joy that the Ethiopian eunuch walked away with. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, that a eunuch from Ethiopia, and that you and me are children of God. And this gospel ought to really be at the center of everything of all of us who believe in it. It ought to make the difference in how we deal with our current circumstances, though they may be difficult and challenging. It ought to influence how we plan for the future and what we want to be remembered for. It ought to affect our lifestyle choices and how we spend our resources. But sadly, for many who say they're Christians, the gospel has been marginalized, set aside to the extent that it's more of an afterthought. The gospel doesn't really affect our decisions. It has a residual influence on our words or our deeds, our thoughts and motives and attitudes. You know, Christian um, behind me here, he's taken the lead in bringing together the evangelical church leaders to try to form a Nordic network of the Gospel Coalition. The Gospel Coalition is a fellowship of evangelical churches in the Reformed tradition who are deeply committed to renewing their faith in the Gospel of Christ and reforming our ministry practices to conform fully to the Scriptures. I'm quoting from their own website. But to renew our faith in the Gospel of Christ, it was started by Tim Keller and Don Carson who were dismayed by the fact that the gospel, especially in America, was being marginalized. Also in the rest of the world, it's set aside. Now, I appreciate being a part of this network because we're trying to bring the gospel to the front and center of our existence, where it belongs. But if Christians and if churches around the world that the Christians are in consider the gospel as something that's really for the margins, well, then how can anyone else how can we expect anyone else to experience the joy that believing in the good news of Jesus Christ will bring? But if you and I relive that joy of our salvation at the start of every new day, then others will not only see our joy, but they'll want our joy and gladly receive the joy that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So let me quickly review. How does God want to use ordinary men and women? Firstly, he wants to use them to obey his call and he wants to use them to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and to make disciples of Jesus Christ and in so doing to bring the joy of salvation to every corner of the world. So just as the early disciples did, let us grow the church by spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the corner that we happen to be living in. And as I close, let me just share you with you as well one 
other inspiration, because many years ago in my bedroom, when I was still young, I had a little poster. It was a poster of two puppies, and you saw their sad, cute eyes just looking at the camera. And underneath the poster of those two cute little puppies, it said, if a friend has not yet met Jesus, introduce them. You know, it's that simple. But if our friends haven't yet met Jesus Christ, whom they desperately need, then just introduce them. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you have been good to us, and we thank you that we can rejoice in our salvation in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to be remembered as a bearer of good news. Philip was remembered as Philip the evangelist, Philip the one who bore good news. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would use us, your church, in this generation and in this century, during this crisis, that we might be your church as it was intended to be, your witnesses, to share the good news about Jesus Christ. So use us, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts, or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.